Michael's Fowell, a gospel-centered community for Fowell, Teddington, and beyond. Our passion is to see every life following Jesus. For more information, visit our website, stmichaelsfowell.co.uk. We're going to turn to uh, the scriptures again for uh, our talk from John T. John T., thank you so much for already teaching us so richly in the first session. Um, Let me pray, and then I'll invite John T. out. God, our Father, we thank you so much that in a a world of confusion and many voices, you speak. And you speak uh, powerfully in the words of Scripture. And Lord, thank you for uh, showing us some of those words already this morning. And we pray that you, by your Spirit, would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would see and understand and receive what you want to teach us from those pages this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amazing. Well, we're going to uh, open up to page five. Um, Got the reading there. We're going to the other end of Matthew's Gospel now, to Matthew 25. And just a quick reminder, we saw in the first session, um, we were trying to engage with this idea of the kingdom. We saw the bigness of the kingdom. This is God's plan. There's the kingdom of God and the uh, kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the world, and the kingdom of light, freedom, and joy, the kingdom of darkness, slavery, and death. And Jesus has invaded earth uh, in order that people might be rescued from the kingdom of darkness, brought into his kingdom, find their place, find joy, freedom, light, and a purpose as they center their lives on this new kingdom. So all of that is big stuff. Um, and what we're going to see in Matthew 25 is what, what might that look like a little bit more practically. Um, so let me, let me read the passage, and then we'll, um, we'll seek to understand it together. So, uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey. Okay, just to stop for a second, because it says it will be like, you've got to ask, well, what will be like a man going on a journey, right? You've got to think as you read the Bible. It's not that difficult. It's, it's difficult to see if you've only got the booklet in your hand, because um, you've got no passage before it. But if you've got a Bible in your hand, you can scoot back to the chapter, start of chapter 25, where Jesus has said, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like. And now he says, again, it will be like. So the it is the kingdom of heaven. So we're back on our main theme. Jesus teaching us what his kingdom, his eternal kingdom of light, freedom, and joy, what that kingdom will be like in our day-to-day experience. Just to fill that in. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. 
The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what is this kingdom that Jesus is establishing? What is it going to be like for in the day-to-day lives of his followers? Well, he tells this parable. I want to break it down into three sections. Each section I want to give one word to kind of help us to hang on to as you go into Hope 24. I want you to remember these three words. The first word is entrusted. The first thing we see is that the master of this kingdom, the king of this kingdom, has entrusted his work to his servants. That's what we see in verse 14. Jesus tells his story. There's a man who's going on a journey, a wealthy man, a man who has servants. Clearly, this is uh, Jesus portraying himself as the king of the kingdom. And he explains that he will be leaving earth. You see, Jesus came into the world. He came to bring the kingdom of heaven. He came to die on the cross to defeat the kingdom of darkness. He came to bring the life and freedom and joy of the kingdom to all who will follow him, all who will entrust themselves to his kingdom. And then he rose from the dead and has now returned to his father. He has gone on a journey. He is away. And what is the situation of the kingdom in that time? Well, here is the remarkable truth. He has entrusted it to his servants. I think that shows something quite remarkable about the relationship between the master and the servants. It is a, it's a relationship of trust. He clearly trusts these servants. He doesn't see them as useless layabouts to sort of just be ignored. He sees them as people to be honored and dignified with work to be done. The responsibility for the ongoing work of this man's estate is to be given to these servants. It makes you realize that when you become part of Jesus' kingdom, you are not an irritation to him. You are not a burden to him. You become one of his servants who he entrusts work to. He entrusts his kingdom work to us. Now, we may think that's a really bad plan, right? We may think, that's a bonkers idea, Jesus. You could really have done better. Why not choose some angels? Surely angels would do this more effectively. No, God's great purpose to bring his kingdom 
to this world, his great kingdom, his great plan for heaven to continue its invasion of earth is us. It's been entrusted to us. But notice how he does it. In verse 15, we're told, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. I love this about the master. Do you see how he knows his servants? He knows what they are capable of. He knows each of their abilities. He knows each of their qualities. And he doesn't overburden people with work that is too much for them. He entrusts to each of his servants just the right amount of responsibility that fits them and their particular personality and their particular gift. So in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is not a king who wants to crush you with a burden that is too much for you to carry. He knows you. He knows your strengths and your weaknesses. He knows your limitations. He knows you. And therefore, he will not ask you to do more than you can do in his strength. I think this is a really beautiful thing about Jesus. I wonder how you feel about the great kingdom work, this eternal kingdom that we saw in Daniel being entrusted into your hands. How do you feel about that? It's funny, isn't it, when you get entrusted with something? You imagine that I um, imagine that I entrusted my Ferrari to you. I have a you know million pound Ferrari in my garage at home. <laughs> Let's imagine I had a million pound Ferrari in my garage at home, and I entrusted it to you. I said, I want you to go and enjoy that. I want you to go and use this. I wonder how you feel about that. Do you see that when you're entrusted with responsibility, it brings two things, right? A sort of fear, but also a sense of wonder. So you're driving it along the road thinking, I better not crash this. This is scary. It feels scary. And yet you're also driving along the road thinking, this is amazing. What a privilege. And I wonder where you find yourself today. You see, when you realize that the kingdom of heaven has been entrusted to you, to you as a church, I wonder how you feel about that. Is it possible that we can be careless with that? We'll see this a bit more in a minute. Is it possible that we can sort of uh, not really see that that's that big a deal? Or do we get a sense of me? I think you get that sense with the first two servants, the one who's given five bags of gold, you, you get this impression that his response is, wow, you want me to do that? What a privilege. And so to be entrusted with this work of the kingdom is a huge privilege. So that's the first big thing, entrusted. All of you have been entrusted with something. So here's, here's my question for us as we get started. What is it you've been entrusted with? In terms of this kingdom of heaven, what have you been entrusted with by Jesus that you can do in his kingdom? 
You used to belong to the kingdom of darkness where we lived for ourselves and we were on this downward cycle towards death. It was, a, it was a kingdom of darkness and slavery. You've now been set free from that to now live for a greater kingdom. What is it that he's entrusted to you? This is a wide-ranging question. It may be that he's entrusted to you a particular gift, something that you can do, something that you love, a passion of yours. It may be that he's entrusted to you wealth. It may be that some of you have financial resources that he's entrusted to you. He says, I'm entrusting this to you so that you can use it for my kingdom. It may be that it's friendships. It may be that it's opportunities. It may be that it's all sorts of things. But they're not yours. None of it's yours. It's all his. You see, this, this servant going off with his five, imagine he's got his five bags of gold, he goes, whoa, look at, look at all my money. It's not his money. It's the master's money. And let me just be clear, five bags of gold is a big amount of money. He's entrusting to his, it's not like, here you go, here's 10 pounds each, why don't you try and use it nicely? This is all of his wealth split between his three servants each according to their ability. So they've been entrusted. Okay, here comes the second thing. Second word, invested. You see, what these servants are supposed to do with what they've been entrusted with is now to invest it for the kingdom, to invest it for their master. So off goes the master on his journey. Let's read about the first man, verse 16. Love this. The man who had received five bags of gold, went at once, right? Even in that, at once. Don't you sense his kind of joy? This isn't, oh no, I've got to do something with it. It's like, yes, I want to get going. I want to get started on this that I've been entrusted with. He went at once and put his money to work and he gained five bags more. He gets on with it. He's out there. He's doing stuff. Um, in order to, to, to gain five more. He catches a sense of the privilege of what it is. I, I think what we're being shown is that this is a man who loves his master, who honors his master, who respects his master, who says, I love you, and you've entrusted this to me. I will do everything I can in order to make more money for you. That's what he does. And so there's the first man, and now I want to introduce you to the second man. And let me just say, okay, in the last few months, as I've studied this parable in various times, this character has become my favorite character in any of Jesus' parables. Right? The man who was given two bags of gold has become my favorite in any of Jesus' parables. Can I show you why? Because I think he's easy to miss. But look at what we're told about him. Verse 17, so also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. That's all we're told about him. But do you see, what you have in the two bags, man, is not a grumpy, resentful, spiteful servant who looks at the one who's got five bags and goes, huh, well, I've only got two. 
Instead, it's someone who does exactly what the five-bag man did with his two bags. He has just the same love for his master, and so he works just as hard, and he gains two bags more. Can I say one of the things that I think is hardest for us when we think about kingdom work is that we can often look at other people and see what they have been entrusted with and feel like we are rubbish. We can spend so much time obsessing about what we don't have that we fail to see all that we do have. I think church planters are brilliant at this. Right? I've, I, you know, we, we've been involved in planting a couple of churches. Church planters will tell you all the things they don't have. Um, so this, is, this isn't, I'm not trying to be rude, but I'm just talking about my own heart. I can tell you, well, of course, you know, we, ha- we don't have a building. Not like you got. You've got a building. So here's me, right, uh, from the Globe Church. It's all right for St. Michael's Fullwell. They've got a great big building. We haven't got a building. How are we supposed to do any kingdom work? Do you see how subtle this can be? It's all right for you guys. You've got loads of families with lots of young kids. We don't have those. And do you see how we can begin to feel like we don't have this? We don't have musicians. We don't have this. We don't have this. We don't have the financial resources. And we begin to make excuses for why we can't do it. And it's not just churches. We do it individually as well, right? I'm not as clever as them. I'm not as funny as them. I'm not as rich as them. I'm not as popular as them. I'm not as well-connected as them. We don't have this, and we don't have this, and we don't have this, and we don't have this. And Jesus says, yes, but what do you have? You see, the two-bags man said, I'm a two-bag man. And I am happy to be that. I fear sometimes that my heart wants to be five-bag. And I spend all my time obsessing about how do I get... I want more. I, 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 want, I want to be a five-bag man. But most of us aren't. We're two-bag people. We're just ordinary. We do ordinary church. And we don't have everything. And there are people who are better than us. And if that becomes a reason that we don't do kingdom work, then we're failing to understand this parable because two-bag man just got on with it. I think this is part of our culture. Look, let me just push this a little bit more. We live in a culture where we have to be extraordinary. There's a pressure on our kids to have to be extraordinary. There's a pressure on our kids to achieve amazing things. I remember when when my children were very small, there was a school assembly. And they, um, you know, my six-year-old lined up with all his little six-year-old friends, and they sang a song. And um, I can still remember the song now, right? It was, it was beautiful. It was very moving. It was kind of like a Disney-type tune. And the chorus went, I'm not going to sing. Well, I, may, I can do, I am singing. I can do anything at all. I can climb the highest mountain. I can hear the ocean calling vast and free. I can be anything I want with this dream inside to guide me if I can just believe in me. 
And they sang this song, I can be anything I want. And at the end of the song, I looked around. And what do you think all the parents were doing? Crying. All of them crying. The teachers were crying. The head teacher was crying. The kids just looked confused. (laughs) Do you know what I felt? I felt really angry. Really angry. Because it's not true. It's not true that these kids can be anything they want. That's not real. We're not preparing kids for real life. And in in a few months' time, we'll be at the Olympics again in Paris, and someone will win a gold medal, and I guarantee that they'll be interviewed, and they will say, this just goes to prove that anyone can do anything. And you go, no, it really doesn't prove that. (laughs) Because there are seven people on the track behind you who all tried as hard as you did, and they couldn't do it. It proves that you are an exceptional human being. And here's the deal. We are not raising a generation who know how to be ordinary. We're not raising a generation who know how to be mediocre. If my six-year-old went to his teacher and, said, and, and she said to him, Josiah, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, Miss, I want to be mediocre. I'd like to be average. Every primary school teacher in this country would say, oh, Josiah, you can be more ambitious than that. You should aim higher. We should have high ambition. But here's the thing, right? Statistically speaking, most people are going to be average. It's sort of the way it works. (laughs) Now, don't get me wrong. I want my kids to be ambitious. I want my kids to have big ambitions for Jesus and his kingdom. But I want them to know on the day that they find that they are ordinary, that they are so deeply, deeply loved, and that Jesus loves them and has accepted them and has welcomed them and has entrusted them with work that is just as valuable as five bag man over there. So I want to say to you guys, If you feel ordinary, embrace that. That is what we're called to be. And two bag man earn two bags more. So what is he entrusted to you? Not what is he entrusted to other people. What is he entrusted to you? And how are you going to invest it? You see, both of these guys, these first two servants, they invested what they'd been given. They invested what they'd been entrusted. They took risk with it. We need to be risk-taking in our following of Jesus. We need to do stuff. We need to try stuff. I wonder sometimes if the reason that some people find being a Christian boring is because they've stopped taking risks. And if you do a bungee jump, but remove all the risks from it. You know, I'm going to do a bungee jump, but I, only want to, I don't want any risk involved. So you say, I'll do a six-foot bungee jump with a three-foot crash mat, and I'll kind of flop off a wall onto a crash mat. And then I say to you, bungee jump's boring. You're going to be taking all the risk out of it. Of course it feels boring. So, okay, here's the question. When was the last time you had an adrenaline rush because you're a Christian? Because you did something that felt dangerous. 
as a Christian. You did something that put you in a position that made you feel nervous. That's what risk is, right? Risk is doing stuff that doesn't necessarily feel entirely safe. Now, of course, I know some people are too reckless, right? Some people are completely mad and do things that are dangerous and haven't really thought about it and just do lots of harm. Can I humbly suggest that my guess is that most of us are not on that side of the scale? Most of us will need to learn to be a bit more risk-taking. So what about with the stuff you've got? What about the things you've got? What about in your workplace? Wasn't it brilliant hearing the stories about, you know, it's risky to send a message to your team saying there's a talk at lunchtime, do you want to come? That's risky. There's a risk saying to one of your neighbors, we've got some stuff going on at church, would you like to come? That's a risk and your heart will start to beat faster. What about with your finances? So take a risk with your finances. Not reckless, but risky. Can I just say, I remember when I was, um, I was about 22, 23, and I, I, um, the church I was at up in Enfield, they took a big risk on me. They um, appointed me as an assistant pastor, and I was an elder when I was 23 in this church, and it meant I sat in a room of elders as they discussed a church building project. And um, I remember that, and I know you guys have been through this, so you'll relate to some of this. I remember sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, we need to give some money to that. We should probably give, like, ooh, maybe two or three hundred pounds. You know, that, that felt like a lot of money. And then one of the elders did a calculation and said, we will need every member of the church to give 10,000 pounds if we're going to make this work. And I literally remember sitting there just going, sorry, that, you're joking, what? It was an order of magnitude different to anything I'd ever heard before. And I think that this is true. The older generation in the church know how to give better than the younger generation do. And I watched as old pe older people gave hugely sacrificially to make that building happen. And I learned something about the risk of giving by watching them do it. So I want to encourage you who are older in the church, I know it's difficult to talk about, but be honest with the younger generation about what you give and how you give. Because they will never learn unless you tell them. And actually, as you sit down and have these conversations, so that we can see, so that we can learn to take risks together. That's what those first two servants were doing. And the third word as we've seen all this risk, and it's not just about finances, it's about time and relationships, all these things. My third word is welcomed. Entrusted, invested, welcomed. Look at the return. And we haven't got time to do this in massive detail, but look at the return. They hear that the master is coming back. This is verse 19. Master, servants returned and settled accounts with them. Right, come on. Imagine you're the five-bag man, right? Five bags. You've got five bags, you've got five bags more. How are you feeling as you hear the masters come back? You're buzzing, right? He's back, he's back. You can't wait to go and see him. You rush to meet him because you're so excited. Because of your love for him, you've invested and you've got something to show him. 
And you can hear it kind of bursting in, in his voice. Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. Master, I did this because I love you. Okay, where's, where's the five bag man looking? Right? As he sees his master. He's looking, what's he waiting for? He's looking for the smile, right? He's looking for that moment when his master's face will break into a huge smile as he says, well done, good and faithful servant. What a moment. All of the hard work, all of the risk, all of the stress, all of the, 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 the hardness of, of investing that money, all of it in a moment. Yes. It's all worth it. As the master smiles and says, well done. And he's welcomed, welcomed into the eternal kingdom where he's not told, come and put your feet up and have a rest. He's told, I'm going to give you more to do. I'll put you in charge of more stuff because we were created for responsibility. We're not created to sit around and do nothing. We're created to work. We're created to serve. But to serve in the presence of the master's great joy and happiness. What a moment. What a moment that will be. Oh, here comes two bag man, my favorite. Here he comes. Here comes the great hero of the story. What's he going to get? Exactly the same. Exactly the same. He doesn't get less joy. He doesn't get less praise. He doesn't get less smile. He gets exactly the same. Because the master knows his servant and he knows that this servant has been faithful with what he's been entrusted with and that brings joy to the servant master's heart. Exactly the same. And this is the great picture of the kingdom that Jesus wants us to have. Get on with serving him now. On the day when Jesus returns, I do not think there will be a single person who says, I wish I hadn't given as much as I did. No one will say that. I don't think any of us will say, oh, I wish I'd given less. I wish I'd given less time. I wish I'd told less people about Jesus. I wish I'd given less money. None of us will say that. All of us, when we see Jesus, will think, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd given more. You see, that's, that's the beauty of the dynamic of the kingdom. So here's the big, beautiful scene, and I just want to finish with just a couple of minutes because we have to deal with the third servant because there is a third servant. And what you discover in the third servant is someone who never, ever embraced the kingdom, who was still caught up in the kingdom of this world who is still consumed by the things of this world. So he receives the one bag of gold, and he doesn't see it as a privilege. He sees it as a burden. Oh, no, this is awful. This is going to spoil my life. So what does he do? He digs a hole in the ground so he can bury it, forget about it. Awesome. I can leave that, buries the kingdom of heaven so he can continue to live in the kingdom of this world, building his own little empire, building his own little wealth, building his own little reputation, his own comfort, his own happiness. That's what he's building. When the master comes back, how does he feel? He hears the master's coming back and he goes, Master, who's he? Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah. There was a master. He gave me something. Oh, he gave me a bag of gold. What did I do with that? Where did I find that? And he goes and he 
digs it up. And he comes to his master, perhaps still with filthy, dirty hands, with a dirty bag of gold. Do you see what he says? He blames the master. He gets in straight away. And he blames the master. Master, I knew that you were a hard man. It's your fault. You overburdened me. You're a hard man. We know the master's not, right? We've already seen the master's character. He's beautiful and he's kind and he's generous. But this servant doesn't belong to his kingdom. He doesn't know him. And so he blames the master. It's your fault. So I was afraid. I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Here, here's what belongs to you. No joy there. Devastating. He claimed to be a follower of Jesus, but he never belonged to his kingdom. The master um, sees right through it. You weren't afraid of me. You're just lazy. You weren't afraid. You're lazy and you wanted to invest in your own kingdom. Because if you cared anything for me, you'd at least put it on deposit with the bankers. And so this third servant loses everything. Even the one bag of gold is taken from him and given to the one who has ten. And this stands as a warning. And this is not a warning that's supposed to crush us or terrify us. It's a warning that's supposed to drive us to be careful. To be careful that we so see Jesus as this beautiful master that our hearts are drawn to him. So that we need, to, we, we need to finish. So let me just say this as a final application. I guess all of us probably find ourselves thinking, what if I'm the third servant? This is how you know you're not the third servant. Do you love Jesus today? Do you want to follow him? I'm not asking if you're perfect. Do you love him? Do you want to follow him? Do you want him to use you during Hope 24? Are you ready to say to him, Jesus, it scares me, I find it hard, but I want to be faithful with what you've entrusted. If you're saying that to him today, you are not the third servant. And you can have confidence. So today, as we go into Hope 24, I I want us to see Jesus has entrusted his kingdom work to you. And so we invest what he's given us. We take risks. Prepare to be ordinary. To do what we can. So that one day we'll be welcomed when we meet Jesus face to face. Why don't I lead us in prayer? And then I think we'll sing. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this kingdom. Thank you for Jesus who uses all of us in all our different abilities in order to do your kingdom work. And we pray that we would be so excited about who you are and what you've done for us in rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness and bringing us into your kingdom, that we would be prepared to do whatever it is you've entrusted to us, to be ordinary, to to use what you've given us for your kingdom. Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come, we pray. Let your will be done in our hearts, in our lives, and in this church, in Jesus' name. Amen.